Welcome to this episode of Beads Podcast, a weekly reflection on church history with Dr. Michael A.G. Haken. Dr. Haken serves as the chair and professor of church history at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is on the core faculty of Heritage Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario. He's also a fellow of the Royal Historical Society in recognition of his contributions to historical scholarship. Join us now as we seek to see what God has done in the history of his people. Thank you for joining us on Bede's podcast, where we seek to see what God has done in the history of his people. We are continuing with Augustine. And Dr. Haken, if you don't mind, would you be able to give us a recap of part one? Yes. Uh, so in the uh, first part of this uh, podcast on Augustine, we basically looked at his life uh, up to the point of his conversion, which took place in 386. Um, born in 354, he was born in North Africa. Um, the area that he was born today is in Algeria and uh, probably about 150 miles from the Mediterranean. Uh, when he was 17 in 371, he was able to move to Carthage, which is now just at the ruins of Carthage are really basically uh, just outside Tunis in Tunisia. Um, and he would then spend the next uh, dozen years or so uh, in uh, Carthage, uh, where he finished uh, his for lack of a better comparison, uh, post-baccalaureate education, went on to graduate studies and ended up being a professor of rhetoric um, in um, uh, Carthage. Um, At the same time, he's uh, become convinced that he needs to pursue truth. And uh, in that pursuit, he discounts uh, Christianity completely. Uh, Christianity for him at this point in his life was really a religion for men uh, and women who didn't think. Uh, it might have been satisfactory, for instance, for his mother, Monica, who was a, a believer from probably her uh, early teen years. But his mother was illiterate, and uh, she was, after all, in Augustine's thinking, uh, not a competent judge of issues of truth and reality. Um, interestingly enough, uh, he kind of fulfills the dictum of G.K. Chesterton, that if a man or a woman will not believe the truth, they'll believe anything. So he finds himself um, uh, immersed in a cult called Manichaeanism, which originates in Persia in the late 200s um, and was a really kind of a variant of Gnosticism in which the material realm was evil, the spiritual realm was good. Um, he's embroiled in this cult, never a full member, uh, to be a full member, you have to be a fully-fledged a vegetarian and also celibate. And Augustine was living in a common law marriage arrangement with a woman whom he never names, but who, with whom he had a son and with whom he was deeply in love. And so he's never a full member of the Manichaean cult, but he's definitely immersed in this, in this false religion. And the penny begins to drop when he meets a key leader named Faustus, in North Africa, who's claimed to have all kinds of answers to intellectual questions that Augustine had been wrestling with, for instance, the origin of evil. And uh, the guy, Augustine realizes the guy's a bit of a, uh, a dimwit, and he really kind of realizes he's been had. And uh, that process uh, co- uh, coincides with leaving North Africa, and it may well have been this break with North Africa that is is influential 
in also leading to a break with Manichaeanism. And he goes to Rome uh, in 383, and he's in Rome for a year or so, and it's a very difficult year. A friend of his dies there. Um, he thought he would achieve a degree of fame as a teacher of rhetoric, but his students won't pay their fees. Um, some of the students complain about his North African accent. After all, he's teaching rhetoric, which is the art of public speaking. And so accent is going to affect, to some degree, in the minds of some students, you know, what they're learning. Um, and uh, he hears of a posting in uh, Milan. And uh, this is a, a very important post where he will be um, having an influential impact upon the sons of Roman governors, uh, budding politicians in the Roman world, uh, movers and shakers. And he will have a corresponding salary, etc. And so he takes the post, um, is probably earning a very substantial amount of money because he's able to rent a house with a garden which is kind of the equivalent of renting a, an apartment overlooking Central Park in, um, in uh, Manhattan. Um, but it's also there that he's brought face to face with his own, his own sinfulness and that the fact that the intellectual problems he's got with Christianity are really not the central issues. Uh, the real problem he's got with Christianity is, is got to do with affections of the heart and his love of sin. As he said at one point, um, I prayed... Uh, Lord, give me chastity, but not right now. And um, his mother, whom he had left in North Africa, Monica, tracks him down and uh, appears in uh, Milan, um, is thrilled to find a number of things. One, the stability of her son's life now that he's got a, a good teaching position. Number two, uh, Augustine had heard of the Bishop of Milan, Ambrose, who was a fabulous speaker. And uh, Augustine makes contact with Ambrose. And Ambrose's kindness to Augustine is a key factor in uh, encouraging Augustine to come to church. And so his mother arrives in Milan to find her son not only well-established in life, but now going back to church. And she's ecstatic. Um, she too participates in the life of the church there in Milan. and. Um, <clears throat> finds out uh, that there's a young family in the, uh, sorry, a family in the church that have a young woman who would be ideal, a uh, Christian family, ideal for her son to marry. Um, the common law arrangement that Augustine has with this woman whom he never names is based on a pagan practice, which would be this, that many men in their late teens would take a, a mistress or a common law wife with whom they would live for about 10 years, basically using them for sexual purposes. Um, and then at the end of that time, when they were established in life, they would, they would uh, kick the person out, which would be devastating for these women, but kick the person out and marry somebody of their own social class. And uh, surprisingly, Augustine's mother suggests this, that Augustine do this. And it's shocking in one sense as a, that here is a, Christian, who is regarded as a saint by some, uh, being involved in this sinful action. And Augustine does yield to her pleas that she's got this marriageable woman who's probably in her early teens. Um, and uh, Augustine can't marry her right away. And uh, he tells us that um, the woman whom he loved was torn from his side and it crushed his heart to bleeding. Uh, she went back to Africa, this common law wife, 
and uh, vowing never to give herself to another man. But Augustine says, I was too weak to follow her example. And he takes another mistress because it was going to be two more years before he could marry this young young woman um, who's, who had, had arranged this marriage uh, for Augustine. And that brings home to Augustine just the abject nature of his affections. That is, his real problem is not intellectual. Uh, sure, there are intellectual problems to be grappled with, but his real problem has to do with the bondage of his will and the bondage of his affections. So this is where we had gotten to in our first episode on Augustine's life. Tell us more about, so at this point he has, has not been converted. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that came to be? Yeah, Augustine records this in the Confessions, uh, the Latin Confessiones, uh, a book that he would write in the late 390s, so about a dozen years after his conversion, in which um, he spends basically chapter 8, book 8 rather, on his conversion, particularly chapter uh, or section 6 to 12, so book 8, 6 to 12, in which he recounts how on a particular summer day in late the late summer of 386 in Milan, a friend named Ponticianus, who was a North African, came to visit Augustine about some business dealing with um, his teaching. And um, while he's talking with him, he, he notices, uh, and Ponticianus was a believer, he notices on uh, the table in front of them a book, and he, he sees that it is a book of Paul's letters. The um, composition of such a book uh, would have been similar to our type of books today. The Christians in the 4th century are moving from the papyrus scroll to papyrus codices, where it, it would have looked like, actually like a book. And he picks it up and it tells Augustine he was surprised to find this because he expected it would be a book of, of rhetoric. And he begins to ask Augustine, has he ever heard of a man named Antony? And this is Antony of Egypt, who had been born in the uh, 250s and would die in the 350s. And um, he talks about how Antony had given up um, a, a life, a pursuit of whatever ambitions he had in life, because he heard in church uh, the statement that our Lord makes, um, if you want to be perfect, go sell all that you have and come follow me. And he had done that. He had made arrangements for the care of his only a relative, a sister, and then he had begun a life of of um, devotion to to seeking God on the basis of of uh, simplicity and celibacy. And, and as he's telling this to Augustine, Augustine starts to realize here he is uh, 12 years down the road from, uh, it was actually 14 years down the road from when he had first become convinced that the, the good life is the pursuit of wisdom, that the life that it really is a flourishing life is one where you seek to know uh, God and wisdom. And he was no further along. Um, he had spent 14 years, you know, he'd been many of those years in the cult of Manichaeanism. And he was no further knowing, getting to know the real God than he had been right at the beginning of it in 372. Ponticianus finishes his business and leaves. But Augustine is really being brought face to face by God with just the abject nature of his own soul. And um, he is with a friend, Olypius. And Olypius will also be subsequently converted. And he asks Olypius, you know, what, what kind of men are we that we have been pursuing wisdom? And here's this man, and uh, basically uh, probably an illiterate Copt from Egypt who uh, hears the word of God and, and sells all that he has to find him. And 
here are they, and they, 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 they're no further in their pursuit. And um, he, he says that Olypius could tell that he was close to tears, so that when uh, Augustine went into the garden, Olypius d- didn't follow him and left him to himself. And Augustine throws himself down beneath a fig tree in the garden and begins to, to weep and cry out to God. And uh, in the middle of this, he hears a voice, and there's been discussion over the years as to whether it was a real voice or whether it was um, some sort of auditory um, vision. I know a vision is 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 is, um, is uh, something you see, but something that really was not there, but uh, only the, the the sound was only in his mind. I think he did hear the voice. I think it was, and he says it was a child's voice, and the voice was in Latin, tole legge, tole, pick up, uh, legge, read, pick up and read. And he, he stopped weeping and wondered what, what kind of game is there that children play in which they recite tole legge. Um, he couldn't think of one. Again, there's been debate as to, you know, was there a game? Uh, was this a game that was going on? Um, and he remembered the story of Antony, how Antony had gone to a church service and heard Heard the scripture, which God, the Holy Spirit, had driven home. Um, go sell all that you have, and if you want to be perfect, and go and follow me. And so Augustine takes it that this must only be a divine command to go back into the house and pick up the letters of Paul, and whatever he first, his eye chanced upon, to take that as God's word uh, to him for his situation. Now, um, none of us today, I hope, would recommend this as a policy of finding guidance. But God does sometimes use these sorts of things. And so he went back into the house and opened the word of God. Uh, that is Paul's letters. And um, he is, uh, the, the text fell open at what we describe today as Romans chapter 13. Uh, take no more thought for, for nature and nature's appetites. Uh, spend no more time in, in orgies and uh, wine bibbing. But go and clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Augustine said, I, I came to the end, and he read to the end of the chapter. It's about four verses. Uh, he said, I had no more, no more desire, no more need to read more. For all at once, all my doubts were dispelled. And he was converted. And he describes um, his conversion later in the Confessiones is that you converted me to yourself. Thank you. So how long from his conversion to his ministry? And can you tell us more about uh, what would that look like? Yeah, so Augustine, uh, this is the summer then of 386. And he would have obviously at some point in the next week or two have notified Ambrose. And Ambrose uh, included him among a group of catechumens, that is people who were learning the Christian faith. Now, the early church in the second century had developed a what we call a catechumenate in which there was a catechetical series of lectures and talks uh, that would be given to educate converts uh, about the the worldview of Christianity and details of Christianity. And uh, that would have lasted then from roughly September through to Easter of of the following year, which is around April of 387. Um, He was then baptized. You can still go to the cathedral in Milan. If you go into the basement, you can see the the foundations of the cathedral, which are built over the the Milan Cathedral, going back to the fourth century, where Ambrose was a was the preacher. And um, there is the baptismal pool that Augustine was baptized in. Um, it gives you much pause to think: Did Ambrose have 
any full understanding of what was happening that day, not simply the baptism of a new convert, um, nor the baptism of somebody who has had a remarkable intellect, but a turning point in the history of the West. There is a real sense in which we're all Augustinians. Augustine is such a, all, all of those who have been raised in the West, um, in, in the church or have come into the church, be it, be it even Protestant or Catholic, we're, we're all Augustinians. So this, 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 this theologian from North Africa has had such an influence upon Western Christianity. Um, so he is baptized. He's baptized with his son, Adiodatus, who uh, professed faith in Christ, and also Olypius, who was short, converted shortly after the example, seeing the example of Augustine. Um, he will then spend a year in Italy. Um, uh, he leaves, uh, he gives up his teaching and he goes to a retreat at a place called Cassiacum, which is a, a, a small town not far from Milan. And uh, he spends really a year, almost like the Apostle Paul, um, at the time it, he went back to Tarsus, um, where he thinks about his, well, what does this meant for his Christian, for his life? And um, he determines to return to North Africa with his, with his son. Um, his common-law wife had left him. He didn't marry. Um, and his mother and Olypius. And so they, they journey back to North Africa via the port of Rome, uh, Ostia, where his mother actually dies. And Augustine returns to his hometown in uh, Tagast, T-H-A-G-A-S-T-E, in what is now Algeria. And we'll spend the next three years there. Really, it's kind of um, uh, kind of a, a North African Roman Labrie. Um, it's a think tank. Um, he writes a couple of books, some of them, well, three or four books, one or two of which have not survived. Very few books of Augustine have not survived, but uh, the couple that have not survived have come from this period. And um, in 391, um, he takes a trip uh, to the coast again, uh, this time to a town called Hippo Regius, which is about 100 to 150 miles west of Carthage, also on the Mediterranean coast. And it is now, again, in, in Algeria, the ruins of this town. And um, he had gone to recruit somebody to come and live with him in Tagast. But he went to church in the, the uh, church in Tagast, where the minister was a man, named, the pastor was a man named um, Valerius who was a Greek and whose Latin was, was inadequate, often he felt for his preaching. And he really needed an assistant. And um, he, uh, at the end of the service, he, had, he, had, he knew about uh, Augustine and uh, announced to the congregation that they were privileged that day to have Aurelius Augustinus in their midst. Um, and um, he then in, in told the congregation, you, you, know, you know, we're looking for a, a pastor uh, to help me. Uh, really an assistant bishop. Uh, bishop here is a wide-ranging term to some degree in the, in the fourth century. Um, it can mean uh, a man who is in charge spiritually of, of a number of churches in a given geographical area, or it can be one local church, so like a senior pastor. And he said, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I've been looking for somebody to, to, to help me. Um, what say you we ordain uh, Augustinus? And um, again, this is not the normal way of calling a pastor. Uh, Augustine hadn't been warned ahead of time, um, but he says, I was grabbed, brought to the front, hands laid on him, and he was commissioned. 
And um, something like that would happen to Calvin in Geneva. So it's not completely beyond the bounds of, of, of what we think of as a call to ministry. Um, another man might have run away. But Augustine is reduced to weeping as he sees God's hand in all this. And um, he asks Valerius for another year to study the scriptures if he's going to be preaching them regularly. And so his ministry really begins in 392. And he'll be there till his retirement in 428 and dying in 430. And so his ministry then commences, formal ministry in the life of the church, commences in 392 and runs to the end of his life in 430. Beads Podcast is in partnership with H&E Publishing, a reformed and Canadian publishing house seeking to spread the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through the publication of church history, biblical spirituality, Christian living, and theology. Join us next time as we seek to see what God has done in the history of his people.